Let's go to Ephesians 1, ladies and gentlemen. That's where we are this morning. We are in a series through the fall, um, going through this little six-chapter letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, two weeks ago, we started this uh, series, and last week we had our, our 10-year anniversary party. Um, but two weeks ago, we just intro that this is a letter, and if it's a letter, we need to know who wrote it. And we needed another recipient of it. And so we spent most of our time two weeks ago introducing who the writer was. The writer is Paul. Paul wrote this letter while he was in jail in Rome to this church in Ephesus. He had been with these people for three years and he wrote them. He had a dear, affectionate relationship with these people. So we have uh, Paul and then we have this church is in this uh, cosmopolitan city in Ephesus on the western corner of Turkey. And so he wrote to these people in this port city that was bustling, this port city that was uh, thriving with trade, busy. There were these gods of worship, whether Caesar or Artemis. There were these competing gods that were, that were uh, rivaling Christ in that day. And Paul wrote this litter, little letter to encourage the church in Ephesus. This beautiful letter to remind Christians to follow Jesus in a difficult time when it's hard to follow Jesus. And here we are in 2022, and it is hard to follow Jesus. Anybody? It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to be distinct. It's hard to actually take this thing seriously. And like this letter was designed to encourage the church in Ephesus, man, it equally is designed to encourage us. And so we're spending our time here over these upcoming um, few months together. And so I'm going to, uh, we're going to be in, in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 this morning. I'd love to begin starting in verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in him or in the heavenly places. So he begins, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins with this, this word, blessed. Now this Greek word, which comes from a Hebrew word, is a sign of expression. There's a sign of action. There's a sign of mutual kneeling and a sign and a posture of opening hands before God. And so Paul is not just saying blessed. There's this, there's this expression that's engaged in what he's doing. He's kneeling. He actually talks about kneeling in prayer a little bit later in the text. But, but he kneels and he opens his hand in this posture of gratitude and care and appreciation and adoration before God. See, to bless God is to come before his presence, to kneel in adoration and submission offering a gift, and the only gift we can offer to God is ourselves. And so Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator said this, may it be that, that people come before the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, kneel, and with outstretched hands, offer their very selves. I mean, we don't, we're not accustomed to being expressive, most of us at least, to know how to respond with our body to praise, to thanksgiving, but there's something beautiful about combining our heart and our actions before God. And Paul's doing that as he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, because he has blessed us, we bless him. See, this is grace begets this kind of response. Our response to the depth of grace that we're about to dive into begets or, or stirs us to respond to God and say thank you for what you've done for us. See, when we experientially know the depth of God's care and experientially know the depth of God's love, it naturally moves us 
to adoration. It naturally moves us to appreciation. It naturally moves us to wonder. It naturally moves us to admiration before God. See, he came to us. He knelt before us. He stretched out his hands to us. He gave us the gift of himself. And so we bless God because of how he has blessed us. And this God, he has blessed us far beyond what we can know. And Paul's about to give us seven ways that, that God has blessed us. So keep that in mind, this idea of kneeling, this the idea of posture before God, this idea of blessing God. Keep that in mind as we move forward. We're going to continue in verse 4. It says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set uh, forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in this section, verse 3 through verse 14 is one of three incredibly long run-on sentences that Paul gives in this letter in, in Ephesians. This, this one sentence, what we all read was one sentence, 202 words, Paul gives us as he's just exploding in response to the depth by which God has loved us and cared for us. In this section, we see three segments where Paul just pauses and worships to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. He can't not respond to God in light of all that God has done for him. As he receives and experiences the benefit of the blessing of God, he can't not just say thank you. There's this, this posture of gratitude and care and appreciation in light of what God has done. And like I said, he he blesses God because of these seven spiritual blessings. And we're going to look at them, break them down today. And I just want to say as a preface, that the heart is this, and I, I, I want this to wash us. I want this text that we just read as we navigate through these seven blessings to, to wash us. You know, this text has historically uh, been a, a means of uh, becoming a, a form of a weapon to defend theological stances. And if that's how we read this text, we miss the heart of Paul here. If this text doesn't lead you to weep, if this text doesn't cause your heart to become oh so tender, the tenderness and kindness of God for you, I just want you to say, you, I want to say you've missed it. You've missed the heart of Paul and how he's engaging us as the recipients of the depth of God's care for us. This is not a means of using as a weapon to defend theological stances. It's meant to melt our hearts in light of God's care and love for us. So the first thing, the first of seven that Paul says is that he has chosen us before the foundation 
of the world. This is chosen. Paul's understanding of salvation is not grounded in his own work or his own merit. If there was anybody in church history who had the ability to use their, uh, their resume to leverage themselves and to prove why God should love them, it would have been Paul. And Paul even says, it's not by my own merit that gives me reason for God to choose me or love me. Before the foundation of the world, before I could prove myself before God, before any of this, before I was a twinkle in my mother's eye, God chose me before the foundation of the world. See, Paul is grounded in the free, sovereign, gracious, loving care of God. He was aware of his path and how God loved and pursued him as he was on his way to Damascus. He was well aware of the grace of God. So there's so many nuances and caveats when it comes to this word choosing, but we must focus on what is clear. The, the truth of being chosen causes Paul to bless God. It causes him to bow his knee before his father and say thank you to the praise of his grace, to the praise of his kindness, not my own doing, but to the praise of him who has so loved me. See, this tells me that as I try to understand this blessing, if I go down an intellectual road that no longer stirs my heart for worship, something has been missed. God moves in by grace, opening our hearts to him who chose us before the foundation of the world, which means this, he didn't, or we, he didn't choose you once you got your life right. He didn't wait for you to get your life right before he chose you. He didn't choose you once you learned the right things to say or the right things to know or the right things to do. Before, again, you were a twinkle in anybody's eye, he pursued you. And this is where security lies in God's care and his pursuit and his love and his gracious kindness. And he chose us to be holy and blameless, the text says, to be set apart. This means that you don't just acquire and, and holiness, but you are already holy. You've already been made holy. So now we're called to walk it out. We're not looking to try to, to build a resume that, that proves that we are holy one day, but we have already been fully made holy. And some of you have a really hard time believing that. Fully holy. And now we're humbly in a posture of repentance and confession, walking that out. Chosen to be holy and blameless. To the, to the church in Ephesus and to us, remember you are chosen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus that chose us before the foundation of the world. The second blessing is that he predestined us to adoption. Predestined us to adoption. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience. We've had a couple of kids. Uh, so we've been at the hospital off and on through the years. And there are some nurses that we've had. And if you're a nurse in here, just thank God for you. Um, but there are some nurses that we've had that have just been unbelievably stellar. There have been some nurses that we've had, caregivers, and it's like, why are you still doing this? <laughs> like you, I don't understand why you're still in this job. Like you hate me and my child and everything. Like why, right? And so when we approach this, this word adoption, we can kind of feel like that's how God feels about us. Like, oh, them again. You know, like this annoying, frustrated approach that we may feel God has towards us. But the text says, in love, he predestined us to adoption. He didn't just predestine us to adoption. It says, in love. Somehow that verse got added right after in love, and it's like, in love gets left. But if you look at the text, it says, in love, he predestined us 
for adoption. That same phrase that John uses, see, behold, what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us. That we will be called children of God, and that is what we are. In love, he predestined us for adoption. See, Paul's fundamental declaration is that in Christ you have a destiny. And that destiny, above anything else, like rock bottom, is that you have been adopted into the family of God. So you don't choose your adoption. The parents choose you. And the Father has adopted us in love. We have been destined for adoption. See, this, friends, is the highest privilege of the gospel. There is no higher privilege than understanding that you have been adopted. J.I. Packer says it like this. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. This is what he's communicating to us. It's, it's one thing to be pardoned and forgiven by a judge. Someone who sits on a throne of judgment and they look to you and they say, you're forgiven and you're pardoned. They stand up, get off their throne, leave the room, they depart. It's one thing to be pardoned or forgiven. It's another thing entirely. There's something ridiculously more intimate to have that judge come off his seat, walk up to you and with tears in his eyes embrace you hold you and with those tears look into your eyes and say you are mine it's one thing to be forgiven something far deeper that in love that god has adopted us that we have a destiny that's uh, that is more secure than anything in this universe and if you have been adopted in christ adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel in love he predestined us to adoption. See, he went to such lengths to bring us into his fold and call us his own. This does something to us. This, if we allow it, this can heal parts of our hearts that nothing else in this life can. Father wounds that you've had for years or decades can be healed when your heart is warmed by the tenderness of your father in heaven. It brings peace to the soul that's searching to find who we are in this world, that we have been found, we have been loved, and we have been chosen and adopted. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in love he predestined us for adoption. Third, uh, redemption through his blood. What is redemption? I'll tell you what it's not, men who were in the Bible study on Thursday. It's not coupons, but it's what it is is something far different. Only the guys in the Bible study will get that. And I'm not going to re-explain it because I'll get embarrassed. But um, the he has redeemed us. We, he has brought forth redemption. It's not just a synonym for salvation. It means to loose. Now, there are all kinds of loosening that you can have. You can remove your jacket as a form of loosening. You can, you can unbind an animal. That's a form of loosening. But there's also loosening for human beings uh, and slaves and prisoners and hostages and people that are oppressed can be loosened. And that's what Paul is referencing here. Loosening people happens through some kind of payment. That someone pays a price 
for redemption and it releases the prisoner. It releases the slave. It releases that one that was in hostage. See, apart from this act of God, we are all in bondage. And unless we are loosened from our captivity, we will maintain in a posture of captivity. But Paul is blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ by considering how the blood of Jesus, his death and his resurrection and the sending of the Spirit has loosened our chains and freed us from the bondage that we have felt. We are now his. We are now bought with blood. We are now forgiven. I mean, have you ever considered what had you captive or has you captive? It's important to remember that there is redemption through his blood. See, humanity has the propensity and to go back to the very thing that once enslaved us. We can kind of mock the Israelites, you know, as we read Exodus. We can see the story of them crying out to God to be freed from the, uh, from the Egyptians. And then God answers by sending Moses. And Moses shows up, let my people go. Ten times later, now they are freed from Pharaoh in Egypt. They're now walking up to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are now chasing after them. God opens up the Red Sea. They walk through, and then it closes and swallows up Egypt. And it's like, unbelievable. God freed them from their captor. And then what, minutes later, they start grumbling. And we can look at them and we can like harshly judge them for the very thing that we do in our own lives. Right? In one second, we can ask God for something. We receive the benefits of it. And then we begin to grumble. We do the very same thing. We're no different. In our own lives, man, our family of origin, our habits, we go back to them over and over and over again. Related to how our parents work, we, we, we buck against it, and yet we become the very thing that we said that we weren't going to be. We find our value, and the very thing that our, our parents or guardians once found value in that we once bucked against, and now we're the very same thing. The, the alluring temptations of the world, we, we find ourselves tempted in the very same way. But friends, we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. And this is what Paul is trying to invite the church in Ephesus into. Romans 8.15 says that, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we, call, we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 5.1 says, but For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It's this reminder, remember who you are. You've been redeemed, so walk it out. You've been set free. Don't go back to the very change that God's freed you from. It's this invitation that we have as well. See, on our journey, our, our journey is to allow Jesus to reteach us what it looks like to be human within our own frames, within our own giftings, within our own callings, and allow his work to free us from the things that once drew us to him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for his redemption through Jesus' blood. We've got a few more here. The next one is forgiveness of our trespasses. See, forgiveness is tethered to relationship. You can't have forgiveness apart from some form of relationship. So theoretically, you could be released from bondage and have no relationship with that person that was once binding you. But to be forgiven means that you're redrawn into restoration of relationship. And so it was our trespasses. It was our sins that kept us from that. We'll see that more in Ephesians chapter 2, that it was our, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But we are now set free through forgiveness by the kindness and grace of Jesus. He shed his blood to release us from the grip of sin. 
He's released us from the, the power of sin, and he's forgiven us, and he has set us free as his own. I know we struggle with this. We struggle with forgiving ourselves for things we have done or things we haven't done. We can live a life of not being able to forgive ourselves, but Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus, which is reminding us, you've been forgiven. So whatever God has forgiven you of, we are invited to forgive ourselves of as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus for forgiveness of our trespasses. The next one would be insight into the mystery of history. That's in verse 9. That he has shared with us the mystery of history. There's not just some vague mystery, but it's now been revealed through Jesus. That the key to bring about redemption in the world, Paul is saying, is found through Jesus. That we have been given that as the church, the key, the very thing, the plan that God has to bring about redemption. See, everything is now making sense through Jesus. All things are being made whole. All things are being made new in Jesus. If you find, as you read through Ephesians, you're going to find this phrase, in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in him, over and over again, because all things are now being reconciled to him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus for bringing about the mystery of history. We have, I believe, two more. The, the sixth spiritual blessing is that we've obtained an inheritance. This is so beautiful for us. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've learned the mystery that God is bringing about redemption through. All leading to obtaining an inheritance. Paul prays that we would know this inheritance. So what is the inheritance? I mean, it's like this picture of the prodigal son story, if you remember in Luke 15, that he wanted to fast track his inheritance. He didn't want to stay in relationship with his father. He wanted to receive all the benefits of his father, and he wanted to run away. And so in the story in Luke 15, the parable that Jesus gives, the prodigal son takes in his inheritance, he pieces out on his relationship with his father, and he goes and lives his own life the way that he wanted to live it with the inheritance that he received. And then he ran out of money, a famine happened, and he crawls back to his father. And the text says, the story that Jesus gives to us, that father waits for his son from afar. He runs after that son as he's crawling back to his father. He gives that son a signet ring, communicating that you are mine. He gives him a robe. He throws a huge party for him, and he gives him a calf, and they celebrate. And this is the inheritance we have in God. We have been given this beautiful inheritance. Paul's trying to remind the church of who they are. Living in this port city in first century Ephesus, being drawn to worship Artemis again, being drawn to worship Caesar again. He's like, don't do it. Don't give up your inheritance for just a, a little bowl of soup. Don't settle for what the world is providing. Remember that you've obtained an inheritance. And we are the same. We're slowly the sirens of this world luring us to just settle. Forget your inheritance. Settle for something far short. And Paul's reminding us in this letter, remember that you've obtained an inheritance. You're no longer your own. You're bought with the blood of Jesus. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You've received the Spirit. Remember who you are and don't settle. We've obtained an inheritance. We're no longer our own. We're His. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus for giving us this inheritance. And lastly, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the text says. Sealed. 
We have been redeemed. This is picture, we talked about this in Revelation with the, the seals that would take place in the letter that John received. It was this communication of authority that the person who wrote the letter is sealing it, saying that it's his. And in the same way, we've been sealed. We've been marked by our Father in heaven, sealed with his Holy Spirit. We've now been redeemed. We're not our own. We're sealed with the Spirit of God. It's the seal, it's this guarantee, the text goes on to say, it's this deposit. When you go to buy a home, you put a deposit down, and you're saying, I'm going to pay for this. And in the same way, God has sealed us with the Spirit, and saying, I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to finish this thing, I'm putting a guarantee down, a deposit of what is to come. See, he hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us the helpers just like Jesus we've been sealed with the Spirit if you've trusted in Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus for sealing us with the Holy Spirit. So we go back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and it again says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is again a reminder of how Paul is responding to all the things he's about to lay out to us. And this, this beckons a, a response. And so we're going to do communion a bit different this morning, if you want to go ahead and go to the aisles, get the baskets, and get the communion elements, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to do this. And again, we're going to do something a, a bit different, but that's okay. So you can go ahead, you can go and open it, and uh, don't take it yet. We're gonna we're gonna have a little bit different of a response time together. We've been blessed. We've been blessed by God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And it's our response to bless him, to give him praise, to give him thanks, to respond with affection and adoration and care and love. And I want to just create a, a posture, a, a time together where we can respond with that same word, bless, which again means to kneel, which again means to kind of open your hands and submit and thank and give God thanks and gratitude for what he's done for us. And so what I want us to do, if you're able, and if you're not, you can sit in your seat. But I, I want to use our chairs. I know we're tight in here, but I want to use our chairs as a, a space of like an altar. We can kind of just turn ourselves, and we can, like the text says, kneel and bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.